Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Uh, okay. Baruch something, something. Fuck. Poor. There we go. We got it done. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the winemakers. Uh, I don't know if we need to apologize to anyone. I'm John Myers. Hopefully, hopefully with- you don't have any kids in the car at the moment. Sorry. Oh, Put well. a warning first on this podcast. A little pressure. As you know, I'm sitting here with my good friend, <laughs> Sam Katuri, who just did our uh, just perfect pour on the Completed some sort only, of heresy, I'm pretty sure. Only whatever. Um, yeah, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> World's whatever. First, kosher, single source vineyard. <laughs> Direct press, whatever, organic, organic yes. kosher rosé. It's the, it's the kosher and the organically grown um, that are really Get the two there. words that don't go together enough out there in the world. So, yeah, that was the kosher rosé that I there just... Um, and we have a full boat with Brian Casey and, of course, Bart Hansen. We're up at Bart's Ranch. Hey, guys, how you doing? It's not really a ranch. It's just where we live. It's just our house. It's, well, with the coolest view in town. So. I mean, a ranch is like you got where, a horse. You, know, you got a horse. Yeah, it's a ranch. I don't know. It's is, ra- it, is it a ranchette? Ooh, that's ooh, even worse. That that's is even worse. worse. <laughs> that is worse. <laughs> that like sounds like you know. Uh, I had no. to re- I had to recover from my butchering of uh, <laughs> the blessing of the fruit of the vine. Well, Lahayim is La- one too. La- right? Yeah, Something I should have like just that. kept it simple. <laughs> Hey, you know, it's re- already, yeah, I was going to say, go ahead, John. We please. have a really special guest today, Gene Arnold Sessions, now of the Gene Arnold Group. And Gene, you, you have been president and hanging around and doing the most important things in wine in Sonoma Valley for years and years and years. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, especially with Sam's recitation of the blessing <laughs> and the way he ended it. It's pretty much life, isn't it? <laughs> it's live radio, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. Live live radio, <laughs> recorded daily. That's right, absolutely. Sam, Sam, will you pass over some of that rosé? Pass over the, the formerly, rosé? Formerly kosher rosé that <laughs> now you. I think has lost all. <laughs> right. We're going to have to take the stickers off yeah, all the bottles. At least that bottle. <laughs> wow. Well. Well, Gene, welcome, and thank you for coming. Um, I'm very excited to have you on. Um, could you start with where did where 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 were you? Where did you grow up? Well, this I could start. Wasn't there a comedian that started? Well, I was to start. I was born of a man and a woman, <laughs> and I don't think we need to start there. I made my way to Fresno, California, when I was about eight, wow. and grew up in the Central Valley, and. Uh, but that was in agriculture, and it was really fun. And I went to Fresno State, and I took a couple of the original uh, teacher, Joe Heights's classes, got the wine bug. I was a starving dancer and got hired That's on to be right. a right. I remember. Yeah. I've seen those pictures of you as a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassingly. <laughs> Actually not. I was like, they're pretty good. But uh, they're coming back to haunt me now. I need a knee replacement. Right. And apparently it was from those days of dancing. 
Was this ballet or, or classically trained? Well, I taught ballet, but I was a modern dancer. Ooh. And we did a little bit of jazz, which was, okay, now run in, fall on your knees, and slide across the floor. Okay, Bob Fosse, yeah. It thanks. was Bob Fosse, right? <laughs> hey, yeah, Tom. Really? And now the doctor, he just went, oh, no, your right knee's gone. He said, you did this a long time ago. I went, oh. It was only 15 to 30. It was only 15 years. And now... These are 15 pretty important years yeah. in your knee health. Yep. And now I have an athletic wound. For those that know me are somewhat surprised that I have an athletic injury <laughs> from my whining and dining lifestyle. <laughs> Do you define the whining and dining lifestyle in Sonoma, California these days? I, um, it is interesting. And as I mentioned when I came in, this is my 40th year in the wine business. And people have actually said, don't tell anyone that because it will make... Th- you have to have started before you were 12, you know? And I'm like, no, 40 well, years. Well, no, that's when you started in the wine business, right? I, I felt like it. <laughs> they kept no, I was still dancing. <laughs> they kept telling me, are you supposed to start when you're 10? Yeah, well, well I think I started tasting. <laughs> but 40 years, and I'm at a point now of, wow, what a great life and great experiences. And, you know, I've had incredible experiences. And so for whining and dining, actually, I've gotten away f- from after 40 years of the fine dining five-hour concept, just honestly, as you age, your energy level, and as much as I love it, I've been to the, some of the finest, and more towards of health, and wa- uh, health with food and wine. What's good for my health? What's good for our health with food and moderation and wine? So that's kind of where I'm getting now, and it's exciting and fun and Actually, and doing some uh, yoga philosophy and mindful eating, which is really interesting to eat a whole meal without talking. This is going to be very interesting for our listeners. I'm sure a lot of them are going to change their lives right now. (laughs) I know a few of them anyway. Well, I mean, we. I mean, I don't know our listeners. Maybe some of them. (laughs) If you're in your your 40s, 50s, early 60s, continue on and, and with Godspeed. Party on, Garth. Yeah, party, party on, Wayne. <laughs> we used to say party like a rock star. Right. When we'd be leaving. And then we'd go out for yak attacks. Anybody go out for a yak attack with a distributor salesman? It's a cognac. After you've done a wine dinner, you've had after dinner drinks, it's the 2 a.m. yak attack. Okay, in my 40s, that was fine. Right now, it's like, no, no. I don't like to see sunrise from that side. (laughs) It's been a while, but I understand exactly what you're saying. I I will say the the most I ever drink is when I'm out selling wine with reps, especially in New York. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the the New York uh, drinking town with a business problem or whatever, it's... uh, Five o'clock hits, and all of a sudden, you're not tasting anymore. And uh, the most... Bottle uh, magnums of Tempier Rosé. I was at you know after work with, and just like there was five of us. We probably went through seven of them, and it was wasn't even seven o'clock. It was just like we kept crushing them. And they're low wasted. alcohol wines, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so, so, only met the next seven morning. magnums is only seven like, magnums. Only like six <laughs> magnums. <laughs> six Ellie, and a half magnums. Sorry, <laughs> Ellie Calloway. I listened to Ellie Calloway once. He started Calloway Vineyards down in Southern California, and he said, or Eddie Osterlund, I can't. The first MWMS said, "It's not alcohol that gives you a hangover. 
alcohol does not give you a hangover. It's the quantity of alcohol. <laughs> exactly right. That's so Sam, true. I think you defined that for yes, me. Yes, that was the it was the quantity. Yeah. And then showing up and trying to sell wine again the next day. You're like, oh. <laughs> you play, an, you can pay. I, can I have an orange juice, please? <laughs> well, I really wish we had a video camera here today because I am looking at magnums of Chateau Montalena from 1997, 1983, 1996, a Chapelet, the first uh, cab bottled from uh, Pino, 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 Pino. Sessions Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the Chapelet and... and the kosher rosé. Kosher rosé. We've got quite a table this morning. Thank uh, you for too. bringing it. I mean, really, Gene. This I, is birth year phenomenal. Chateau Montalena. Uh, I think is that's a a podcast highlight as far as wines that we've had opened here over the last couple of years. It got me. You know, I'm in the middle of my spring shipping season right now, oh, and um, busy. going to LA for a trip tomorrow morning, and. Um, have a six-week-old baby, so I was I was really like about to blow off this pod, this recording session, and then Bart's like, "Gene brought wine." That's all. He, I didn't even say what wines, and I was like, "Paul, I gotta go." <laughs> I grabbed the bottle of rosé and I got in the car. So I was leaving a stack of work on my, uh, and I'm totally totally you, worth it. No, it's totally worth it. This is awesome. Well, but, uh, part of the bringing this the 2010 Hans Alpino from the Sessions Vineyard. This was the first bottle off the bottling line, and your dad helped Bob put that vineyard in. Yeah. Or your dad put that vineyard in with Bob guiding traffic. And and deflecting a lot of uh, heat from oh, citizens God. of Sonoma over that vineyard. Um, yeah. What year was that? Two th- oh, 1999. Yeah, you know, I was yeah. riding my bike to school down the hill watching them clear and, and plant that vineyard. So mm-hmm. ever, any of you ever been to Sonoma, you... N- Wait a minute. You rode your bike to school? And then I would ride to the police station, and this was in the days of before cell phones, 1-800-COLLECT. Right. And I'd get to the payphone, which they had, at the police station, and I'd call my mom, 1-800-COLLECT, and instead of saying, you know, when it says, um, <laughs> please state your name after the tone, I'd say, I'm at the police station, pick me up. And then she'd say, would you like to accept a call from him at the police station, pick me up? And she'd say, no, and hang up and then come and get me. <laughs> Those are true stories. True stories. Those are true, true, stories. true stories. Scammer from the very beginning. I like it. That's it's, awesome. That's, there's that commercial out now where the guy calls and he uh-huh. says, "It's, it's." We were doing, Would you like a collect call from Bob? We had a baby. It's, it's a boy. boy. Yeah. <laughs> See, you could do. What we you were doing have, that Sam? Twenty years ago. Sam, what did you? What What did we you? We had a We had a little girl. Oh, <gasps> baby woman. Yeah. Oh, women's yeah. rights. Women's Sorry. rights. Yeah. yeah. We're training her to be a strong woman. Yeah. Six weeks, so we're seeing. Not sure how it's taking. She's going to train you for a little while. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what's happening. Well, that's where the strength comes in, the strength and control. Exactly. No, it's awesome. What's her name? Althea. Lovely. Where is the Sessions Vineyard that you're uh, talking about? um, Mm -hmm. If you're looking, if you're on the plaza in downtown Sonoma and you look north towards, um, say, from the girl in the fig straight up the hill. Um, it's the, you see sort of east facing in a wooded area. There's, uh, what's that three or four acres, probably mm-hmm. um, five. five acres, yeah, um, roughly. cut out of the hill, uh, vertical rows, um, fairly, really steep. yeah, fairly steep spot. Um, and when we started putting in the vineyard, um, the citizens of Sonoma, the residents of Sonoma got, you know, all outraged, outraged because this was in the the um, historic viewscape of downtown Sonoma. 
You wouldn't want uh, a vineyard in the historic to, views, to interrupt right. your view of uh, in yeah. Sonoma, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> or Bordeaux or a, either, or I a mean, tasting room. Yeah. Um, and and when it went to the city council, and it's actually, I'll give Ken Brown credit on this one, and they found out it was Phil developing the vineyard. And uh, Bob. And Bob, uh, and Bob, you know, for Bob Sessions. Uh-uh. Um, I think they, it they, wasn't just some like Joe, you know, some random guys throwing a vineyard in. It was people that had respect. Hometown heroes. Yeah. yeah. Hometown well, heroes. Hometown That's heroes. a great way to yeah. say. And it, it was probably the last vineyard, one of the last to be able to get permitted to go in at that angle. That, that, yeah. that steepness. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was really something Bob did have when they were moving some of the boulders out. Because Rocky. Yeah. Rocky, moving some of the boulders out. He had to stop traffic on Norbaum. So, John, did you get it? You go straight. Oh, yeah. First street You've driven past this vineyard a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just never noticed anything that would create a big stir. However, in this town. Well, now it just it's there and you wouldn't even know. Good, yeah. good. But in this town, anything can create, you know. Yeah. We've the, literally had stirs over chicks and chickens and ducks in, in right. the plaza. So, yeah. you know, literally anything. Do you think anybody in Bordeaux or Fransac or any of those little towns complaints when somebody puts in some vines but if they did so. it was thousands yeah, of years ago yeah, exactly there's no i don't think we'll hear about it yeah, there's no places like them. that yeah. yeah there's no places that's left that's a good point you know if it's a forest and it's for barrel production i mean there's no there's no nothing in, left in huh? the you know in the road there's no places that if you could put a vineyard there they already put a vineyard there yeah you know and who's going to say no you ago. if you yeah. want wine then you're going to let your neighbor put in vines because then you're going to get to have and some wine sam i got a, an email this morning from uh shen blue and they are having, selling you more they're magnums. having a party <laughs> <laughs> i wish they're having a party just in case you can make it to avignon this weekend so I was just like, I would know. like to go, <laughs> John. Yeah. I would love to go meet them. They're doing amazing They're things. They're really, really nice yeah. folks. And it's, I mean, you think coming up the hill to Bart's is entertaining? This is an hour on a one lane, true one lane, one way road. And when you meet people, it's scary backing up because mm-hmm. there's a drop off on the other side and you're on a mountain. So, yeah. but anyway, I thought you'd get a kick out of that just well, in case you can't can can call make up it. like one of your old clients from the ad agency and see if they can fire up the jet and take hey, Nabisco. There. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Where's that Budweiser plane? Bro? Okay, wait a minute. Who do we know that has a private jet that could take us if we I mean, talked them into it? We probably... Your, your connections are probably yeah. better than ours, yeah, Gene. This is a, a good time to bust out that Gene Arnold Rolodex. <laughs> I was going to say, I think Kendall Jackson might have a jet I just thought somewhere. of her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought of that. I went, oh, so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about the Gene Arnold Collective and the foundation and the women in the business of wine, all those Thank groups? Thank you, John. Thank you for asking. Um, I started in 1999. I, I uh, needed to... Leave. I was president of William Salyam and working for Mr. Just Dyson. a little, Just tiny, little, little group. Well, you might Just see a trend that. here that This is what's going to happen through the... It, right. Gene is going to be <laughs> totally uh, modest in <laughs> dropping the names of like the, some of the biggest wineries that people who listen to our podcast will have heard of. And people, you know, winemakers <laughs> we've interviewed. So, sorry, go on. Don't <laughs> let me... That's just... Well, this is pay attention. My, we'll just make, we'll make a little my, ding sound. Ding. So go ahead, William Salyam. Ding. ding. Right, well, I had, this was all in my effort to continue to rise in my career, and I took the president to be president of William Salyam and also work with Mr. Dyson on his Pebble Ridge because he national marketing company because he has uh, Millbrook in Hudson Valley and Villa Pilo. 
And so went that first year to work with John Dyson and, and Bert and Ed and their kids and truly amazing. Um, and, and my background is in honest storytelling and marketing, which I'm looking at John winking and uh, doing that and letting people understand who the property is. So John and I kept disagreeing. And note to self, a cautionary tale, one night over wine in Millbrook um, in Hudson Valley, I said, John, one of us has to go because we just don't agree. And then I went, oh, oh, you own it. I guess that'll be me. So <laughs> I, I decided to funny at that time. That works. Yeah, funny how that works. So no, we, we parted amiably. And it just was um, a different, when you have a different belief system with someone, it's not easy. But... What I would, oh, what was I saying about them? Um, well, can can you tell us kind of what the differences were based on? You know, it's interestingly, my whole background has been in brand image, and communicating that story, and taking on William Selliam at that time. You know, you it, know, it already had a story. Right, nineteen ninety nine had an incredible story. Uh, bottom line, John wanted to add Villa Pilo and Millbrook to the newsletter. I mean, isn't that funny that that was it? Yeah. And I said, no. And shipping, shipping wine to and from New York before, as John firmly believes it was in a gray area, I didn't see it so much as a gray area. It was pretty black and white. So those kind of core beliefs, um, he and I were going to spend all our time arguing about it. And, you know, they, they have, you know, you look at William Selliam now, although a great fan of Bob Cabral because I helped hire him. Is, uh, there you go, Bob. Yeah, he's awesome, and uh, they've done quite well. So, so, so you were there at that at that change. You were at that change from from Bert and Ed mm. giving up responsibilities and Bob taking over, right? Yes, yes. And was that why you were hired? Was to bring somebody in to find the right person? I was hired to manage the transition. Okay. From Bert and Ed. Wow. To to the the new company. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that. I love culture. I love yeah. I uh, used to love more conflict resolution, <laughs> but you know, now I'm kind of I love conflict resolution because you come to the same page and right. same table. Right. So I did I it was for that reason. I mean, and what a I mean, that was an amazing time for that yeah. company. And you know, yeah. and and it it certainly has worked out well for them, hasn't it? It has <laughs> well, it has extremely. So I can't when I say I just I disagreed with him. Heck, he's yeah. done extremely well. Yeah. So, yeah. and it's a beautiful winery, Dan, and what Burtonette I assume would have hoped, and still good friends with the family, with the kids, and uh, Brogan Sellers is great. Westmar's great. Those are the individual right. kids. Right. Where is William Selliam? William Selliam is on West Side Road, and if you go River Road up to um, West Side Road outside of Healdsburg? Well, it's right between Healdsburg and Russian River yeah. and okay. the, the river. So if you go Walmer Bridge, right, right. wind okay. around West Side Road and go up there, that's probably an easy way. You can go the other way from Healdsburg down it, it, par- it parallels Highway 101 on the west side of the Russian River there between Healdsburg and Windsor, mm-hmm. essentially. A lot more curves. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot more, more curves. curves. Beautiful place. <laughs> beautiful, though. And uh, the new winery is beautiful. So, But I learned, I, again, met some amazing people. Yeah. In that in, in that transition. Yeah. And then I started my consulting. That's when I... That's where we were going. Yeah, yeah. that's where... Um, I went to Hansel first and said, okay, I'm going to go out on my own and do consulting on 
wine brand, branding, positioning, marketing. And so I convinced Bob and the board of directors there to hire me after six months. It took me six months to get hired to be the consultant. It's great. You were consulting before they hired you. That's why they hired you. Yeah. You know, they liked you. <laughs> yeah. So that's perfect. Thing. Well, I brought Bob a bottle of William Sellium. And when I, we did the preliminaries, the first thing he said, well, do you have any questions? I said, yeah, can I see the vineyards? He decided right then he'd hire me for that, that reason. So, yeah, you don't want to sit in an office when you work for a great winery. No, you want to you want to go out in the field. Yeah. That's well, and it. I, also, I, I think to to Gene's point, if you want to work for a winery that doesn't, you know, you don't want to work for a winery that doesn't that can't back it up with the vineyards. If it doesn't have the vineyards, you could tell that story as many times as you want. You're mm-hmm. not going to have the wine to make it matter because it starts you know starts with the wine, right? And then you know. And who first planted those vineyards? Back in the day, oh, forgive me, because Brad Webb came on board in 1957 or so with Ambassador Zellerbach that bought Hansel. And Brad Webb and Ivan Schock from Napa Valley, who had planted Tokalon before it was called Tokalon. And it was Pinot. Because the rootstock came from the Stelling, I think Stelling Vineyard, that was then later Tokalon, part or all of Tokalon. But it was Pinot, those cuttings came from there, and Ivan Schock planted with Brad Webb's um, overseeing the vineyard. So it's great in the, history. In the 50s. In the 50s. In the 50s. And First, it was only Pinot Noir at that point? No, Chardonnay too. It was Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. There's the Chardonnay that's there, there's the. The ambassador's, the ambassador's block is still is those vines, right? Yes, it is. Right. Yeah. Which the, is the y- oldest Chardonnay in North America? Oldest continually producing. Uh, I think um, Mount Eden has older, but it okay, but went, went, yeah, went yeah, up and down. Yeah, Stony yeah, Hill yeah. has older, but they not continuously producing. Is the oldest Pinot oldest. in the ambassador vineyard uh-huh. block. Um, Shalone was older, but they pulled it out. Right, of course they did. So. And in my opinion, one of the... I think one of the best decisions ever made of of where to plant something specific. Like, I think of Hansel as like our, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of our Grand Cru in California. I mean, those vines that are growing there, that is the perfect spot for them. It is, and it is interesting. I actually worked to try and get a monopole AVA for Hansel with the red red series soil, and because it's so isolated, because if you are at Hansel during the middle of summer, you'll say it's too hot for Pinot. Hmm. And Unless you're there at 7 in the morning. And the f- if, or that diurnal temperature and change. The, and the fog is in there. Yeah, exactly. So it, it works. I always said it works at low tonnage, that I didn't think would ever, hmm. you could push the tonnage, especially mm. on that front site where the Ambassador Vineyard is right. and those new vineyards. You just... Something works. Um, that's why Bob wanted, with Phil's advising, to plant on the other side, eastern facing, to have a cooler mm. shade in the afternoon. Yeah. This, one, it this is fantastic. Isn't it the, great? the 2010 yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sessions Vineyard uh, Pinot Noir is amazing. Oh, yeah. thank you. The, that, yeah. the structure, the, you know. Oh, it's pretty darn it's, bold. It's, it's beautiful. Grand Crew, you know. For sure. And then at level. some point, Cabernet got planted up there, though. Bob's planted Cabernet. Let me watch my make sure my dates are right with Phil. Yeah, 
um, in 79. No, they planted because it was 74, 75. First vintage was 79. And it was at the request of the then owner, Ambassador Zellerbach passed, passed away, and the new owner was um, um, Countess Debris, D-E, capital B-R-Y-E. Yeah, so she bought it as a summer home and she wanted the winery, and she wanted her claret. So Bob planted, uh, I think, did he plant all five at Bordeaux Varietals or four of the five? I don't know. I'm not getting a little, that, I should know that's, that. That's before my time. Because yeah, that was what they replanted that in 2012. In when, when they were, mm-hmm. right, is that right after they planted the, I think they were replanting mm-hmm. that. Oh no, so that was another block where the pine trees are. Was they that? replanted that. What block is that? Oh, there's two. Let's see. There's two. With those pine trees, blocks. you can see it from like, you know, from everywhere. From it everywhere. was part of the debris vineyard okay. that they needed to replant. And it was those rows. And it took me a while to get that through the board of directors yeah. and with support of the winemaker, then Michael McNeil and Bob's support. But in honor of Bob, I think it was 12 okay. went in and planted three total acres. And one of them is in the ambassador vineyard South, just South of the ambassador vineyard that, the, okay. you know, wasn't growing well. So it's just been released. I have not tasted it yet, but, uh, wow. Yeah. It's just been released. It's only three acres. So it's, um, but it was an honor of Bob and, and Phil and Jose Ramos, and mm-hmm. who's still there as vineyard manager. And so it's a great story in history of great men. Yeah. Great men and great women. Yeah. And um, Bob's wife, Molly, longtime wife of uh, 40 years, was by his side the whole time. Barbara Debris, the, the uh, I always forget her title because it was always Mrs. Debris, the Mrs. And uh, she, incredible. She passed away suddenly in 92, um, which was interestingly the year the, the Cabernet was pulled out, hmm. which speculation that was by board direction because hmm. Bob made big Cabernets that, like this 1981 and 83. There's still life to them. They're big. Um, oh, I think, yes, the 80, those are both. Montalina, sorry, same story though. Yeah. Big mountainside <clears throat> Cabernet, but uh, her young son took over at 16 years old. Alex Debris. Wow. Well, the board took over the trustees, but he's now still the owner mm-hmm. and still very much in love with it. Well, and I remember when they hired uh, McNeil mm-hmm. um, because it was a very, very long and arduous process. The board took a long time. I was even asked to come interview for that, yeah. which I, I, I did not go to. I, it just wasn't the right place for me at the time. <laughs> um, uh, but I do remember like hearing how long it took to hire him. Well, it, we, we actually, Bob retired at the end of 2002. Yeah. He retired after 35 years. He was consulting, and we hired a, a wonderful winemaker that that with Hansel, it's signature heritage property. We were very happy with stylistically, as you would be with DRC or you, with the styles right. you've developed. Don't uh, mess up what's coming out of the vineyard. Yeah, yeah, that spot. You know. And the winemakers still wanted. He still wanted to play with the recipe, and um, so that wasn't working for us. So yeah. that's when we went looking for McNeil and okay. really had honed in better on what we were looking for, which I think was really important because you have to kind of humble your own ego to work with a house style right? and, and maintain it as you add in new vineyards and with new current viticulture that is maybe better than old world. So it's quite 
you know, you go deep, you go deep into the vineyard, deep into the soil, and really work with that and what comes out of it. So it's not for everyone, but McNeil was a perfect fit. He, too, wouldn't talk to the recruiter because he'd interviewed with me twice, Chalk Hill and William Selliam, and I didn't hire him. (laughs) So the third time, he wouldn't call the recruiter back about it. And I called him, and I said, you're really in. I'm asking for you. And he said, okay, don't invite me to the dance if you're not serious. (laughs) said, I'm serious. So I think you had a lot of fun. Didn't you? Oh. Really? I mean, this is just a pleasure for you. It, I love this industry. I love it. And now I have a lot of 40 years to look back on and share experience. And, you know, I make decisions more quickly now because it's based on a full body of experience. And, yeah. um, and then sometimes with everything that new is coming up with younger generations, being able to be open to that and look has really been a great gift. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. There are challenges in the industry more so now. I love what you're doing with this podcast because it's about small, it's about the people, the smaller, independent, not corporate, to be blunt. And so I love that because it's a very big story to tell. And commodity wine or commercial wine is just lovely. I mean, I, you know, you're, uh, what do you call it, everyday wine? No heartburn wine when you open it. You can just have it and enjoy right. it. And a place, as long as you're good for that quality range, you want to be at the best of that. And so a place for everything. But I prefer the stories of the winemakers and the land. And well, and it's interesting because it really has changed. Because there wasn't a time when it was really commodity wineries. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there was a time when they were, for the most part, all family-owned, and yeah. it was the story of the the winemakers and the people who made it. And and then <clears throat> during the time of the fighting varietals taking off, um, then then it became more of a of a commodity winery and. Those wineries realized that, and then they tried to re kind of purpose uh, or read rework how they were going to do it, having small wineries within larger wineries, and mm-hmm. um, and and now and now here we are. There's with the with the way there's so many micro wineries like myself or Sam. Now now it's hard to tell who's what and where they're coming from. Well, and if you care, yeah. it's worth pursuing. Right. If if you and because we all have our luxuries and we all have our you know things everyday things. Um, if you care, it's worth pursuing. Listening to this podcast. No, I'm not bragging about me and this podcast. Your podcast. <laughs> but, uh, well, we're you, bragging about having you on the podcast. Right. Thank so, you, Sam. Okay, it, it for this one in particular. Yeah. No, uh, but it's a, it is really worth it because we do care how it's grown, how it fits your sustainable footprint. You know. Uh, how you're managing your for the future and being cognizant and mindful of it and how you treat your employees. So I think, and and we're seeing such a trend towards that right now because it's, it's those genuine people with a real story to tell versus a constellation product that's 1299 Mm -hmm. on a middle shelf in a grocery store. And it doesn't happen anymore. That's just, it's just commodity. We were talking before we got on the air about uh, Ravenswood just being sold. And Joel looks really happy about it. And Bart, you said it kind of brought a resurgence to Ravenswood well, I, and What I'm saying involved. is I, I think, I hope that Gallo will put some new energy into Ravenswood and um, we'll see what happens to it. I mean, yeah. you know, Ravenswood made a Monterosso cab, you know, or mm-hmm. Zinn. You know, maybe they'll 
give that back to him. I, I don't know. We'll see. I think it's interesting. That would that, actually be freaking cool. Yeah, I, I think it is interesting though. My my friend Andrea was hired as one of the winemakers for Ravenswood and works with Gary Sinton out at um, the at the, the cherry, winery, the cherry tree, at the cherry tree or at the quarry as they call yeah, it. The quarry, right? And and her, but her place was not bought, so they. They don't have a brand associated with them it's anymore. Just a constellation it's facility. just it's just they're a constellation facility, and they don't really know whose wine they're going to be making or what they're going to be making. So, uh, do they buy the Ravens like the I don't old know. Ravenswood Did Winery buy, and Tasting Room on Garricky? I I don't know that because I'd heard it that wasn't the, listed in the it wasn't listed, but hmm. they must have because they're going to need a place to still sell the sell wine. It. You'd think I would think so. Yeah. Interesting, just to point out, because of my background and passion of being in image and focus and branding, honestly, in honesty, uh, if you read the Constellation press release and the Gallo press release, very uh, different. I, it's you know, Constellation. Is, how so? Constellation is we're selling our low end of the $11 and below We're wine. getting rid of the crap. We're getting rid of the yeah. crap. We're getting rid of the bottom fee, whatever. And Gallo's is we're buying some really premium wines and wineries that'll be good to round out our portfolio. It's I mean, a nice change though. Mm-hmm. It's a good attitude. Yeah, I it, I like Gallows. It, it's it's I agree with you, Gene. And mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting because Quota Bois was one of the wineries that was sold. And there was a time where Quota Quota Bois Marlstone and that was a red a red blend, I believe, and yeah. they they had a number of very high end vineyard designated wines and that's what people wanted everybody wanted those wines from Cote d'Ivoire and then they were sold to somewhere maybe it was Jim Beam and the downward trend started to go you know my my fear is they become operation you know uh, delivery operations they're right. distribution vehicles right, right and so they don't need to make wine out at the quarry they have other facilities perhaps to make the wine but right. the distribution is uh I, I believe with Sonoma Cotrere when uh, you know, Brown Foreman bought them. They right. look at that. If they were on-premise, significantly only on-premise. Right. But they were so well-known and well-regarded that they were then they were the vehicle distribution point right. to get out. Right. And if, you want, and if you want your, if you want your um, uh, Le Pierre, then you've got to take this and this and this also, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Now, insider story, right. if I may, because I can do that. Absolutely. I worked at Jordan Vineyards and Winery at that time and Jay Sparkling Wine at that time. And Tom Jordan called me in, and, and we were very high. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we were very much on premise. You know, with Jordan and Jay, you know, very much on premise with that, but not 100%. And Tom would call me in his office and say, I talked to Bryce Jones today. He owns Sonoma Cotrera. They're 100% on premise. I want you to m- meet that, Jeannie. you got to get that wine. I'm like, that's not honest. I can show you a floor stack. And, you know, they weren't in Costco, no, but a floor stack. You get a little, you know, uh, he would never believe So that is when I started learning just to say, "Uh uh-huh, that's fantastic, okay. It's a good goal. We'll work on it. (laughs) We'll work on it. We'll work. It's a good idea. Let me consider that. Yeah. 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 I'm going to taste the 97 Sinsky, and then I actually should probably leave. Sam. Well, you know, (laughs) as you, we were talking earlier, you are a storyteller. A really, really fascinating storyteller. But you have something that you brought that really guides you and everybody that we talk to. Would you mind sharing that? Thank you. Thank you. 
one of the most amazing things, I think, for my life and changing things is I've always been into storytelling and understanding how that can communicate what farmers do. Because you've got to take what you do, Sam, and go to New York and tell someone that says, oh, there's good wine in California. I thought it only came from France. So, so I got into it. But the meeting Equally Bob's as far away from New York. Yeah. Bob's, Bob's, but I got to meet Bob Sessions when I was married to the wrong Bob. And we went up there with Jerry Mead's Wino Group. You guys are too young to remember Jerry Mead. I'm not. Wino, wine investigation for novices and enophiles. A great wine writer. We went to Henzel. The Countess was still alive at that point, And I met Bob Sessions. Okay, wrong Bob and I broke up. And when I went to do my consulting, I said, Hansel has all the right pieces. They're doing everything, in my opinion, right. But they're not marketing well because they're not known. So I went, that's why I went to Hansel. When I went, Bob's longtime wife, Molly, was um, a cancer survivor at that time, but she did pass. And I was very much involved. And um, a year or so later, Bob and I started dating. So for me, I ended up marrying him left being CEO with Just Jackson of the smaller, nine smaller brands, and Barbara Banky left there to go be president of Hansel and marry Bob. So it was a love story from then on, and uh, just so fortunate to work. Bob and Phil, I think your dad's more known as the mountain man of Sonoma. And Bob was the gentleman of Sonoma. Yeah, well, Bob, I, I mean, <laughs> rightfully, I think we'll just we'll leave it there. Um, you know, also, you know, Hansel is was, is this sort of like overlook on the valley. It's not it's not in the mountains of Sonoma. It's sort of in the the foothills of the Mayacamas. Yeah. Um, you know, you it's it's a much more gentlemanly uh, mm. estate than say you know. Cayman's pile yeah. of rocks two, three miles further up the hill. Oh, fair. Um, you know, where it's, you know, rugged and and rough and tumble. Well, um, like Maya Comets, where Bob Or like Maya Comets, which is where mm-hmm. Bob, Bob started, was, right? Uh, yeah. Rocks and it's 2,000 feet. It's but where I made the at Kosher Rosé. It's a terrible place to make wine. It's such a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's like there's no room. It's a, oh, that makes it, it so good, to though. get there. But yeah, it, it definitely, you know, you... Um, there's a spirit. That there's lives a spirit there. there that you know. With gentlemen yeah. farmers, and when I Bob had on his wall in the press building, in the, what people call the barn, but that's where the winery was, so the old press house. On the wall was a saying someone gave him, and this was so true of Bob, and I think it's true, Sam, of you and and winemakers, and this is who I want to be with and tell their stories. But the quote is: "Into every bottle of wine made by a vintner of the old school went a little bit of himself." Old-time wine drinkers believed that the quality of a man's wine depended on his own quality and character. To gain lasting fame as a wine grower, a vintner had to be a poet, a philosopher, and an honorable man, as well as a master craftsman. Mm-hmm. And so I have that on the back of when he retired, one of his photographs. That's a made taken by a crazy Frenchman. Something to live Love up it. to. Yeah. Perfect. But that's what I look for now. Right. I just and I'm liking my age and being able to regroup and now just say, I get to work with people like this. And uh, like all of you, so. So, Gene, you you kind of brushed over a little bit that you worked for Jess Jackson and and, right. and, and, I, and I have job. To, I have I got go I got to go. That's all right. But go. this you. is awesome. I'm, thank you for being here. And, Thanks, and, Sam. Give um, your dad and mom a big hug and I the will. baby. I will. I will. Nice yeah. to see you. Thanks, nice guys. To see you. Thanks, Peace, Sam. Sam. We'll talk to you soon. Drive safe. Hey, take take one of the session the sessions for your dad to taste if you.
Yeah, 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 that's fine. Here, if just you... pour me a little taste of it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave it. yet. I had to do yeah. that while we're while we're no, no, on the air on because it might have not gone that pleasantly. You, you're right. Might, um, might have to split right, that entire exactly. bottle up. <laughs> Brian was starting to give you the hairy eyeball. Um, so if you could just talk about that time in your career, because you were running the smaller brands mm-hmm. of the Kendall Jackson line, um, can you talk about what year that was? And I mean, in this day of um, w- women in wine and stuff, you were very much in the men's club at that time, right? Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, no, am, I, yeah. am I wrong? No, I, no, and I admit that wholeheartedly because I was. It took a lot of work, and it's also the place you can get <clears throat> where you don't help other women if you don't pay attention back in 2000. So... It can be where I'm part of the old boys club <clears throat> or the men's club, and I worked really hard to get here, so I'm not necessarily going... I did not do that because I've been a feminist all my life, but I could feel and I could see it happening, that you become part of that club and it's so exclusive that you don't want to help. And so I've fought against that since I've been in that position. And it came up recently as a year ago that there's still that glass... Well, there still is that glass ceiling, but... Be that as it may, um, I started my consulting. Hansel was my first. Chalk Hill, who Peggy Firth has been a very long time friend of mine, and I had been with her at Chalk Hill working with uh, David Ramey Wines when I when I left to go to William Selliams. So it only been a year. So I went back and I was consulting with Peggy Firth, and that kept me close to Fred Firth and Jess Jackson, Peggy Firth and Barbara Banky. In fact, my first day, they all four came in at 6 o'clock at night, first day in the office. John, you'll appreciate this, because it only happens. And I, I'm just getting ready to leave. I barely know where my door is. I have a key that I think I can lock. And I'm heading out, and I see Jess, and Jess Jackson and Barbara Banky, Fred and Peggy Firth, walking in. And they look at me, and Fred said, get us a bottle of wine, and we'll sit and talk. Like, I don't know where to get a bottle of wine. It was very <laughs> intimidating. But when I left William Selliam and started with my consulting, Jess asked to talk to me. And so I consulted with him on the theory that I worked with small, individually owned wineries. And Jess owned nine of them. Jess and Barbara owned nine of them and their kids. So that's how he fit into my smaller venue. I did not work for Kendall Jackson. I worked for Jackson Family Farms. Right. And um, Quinz, when he decided the next year, I, I got the opportunity to work with Lou Platt as CEO of Kendall Jackson. Amazing man from Hewlett Packard. Uh, extraordinary. Randy Clifton, extraordinary. Um, and Barbara and Jess, just extraordinary people. And took it on a big challenge. I didn't feel that any wineries that were owned by, by one owner and multiple wineries, really hard to do honest branding for those individual ones because ultimately it all went back to Jess. What so, were some of those wineries that you were... Oh, Hartford Family Wines, uh-huh. Hartford Court, Matanzas Creek, sure. Stone Street, Cambria. Uh, La Crema? La Crema. Look, you know what? La Crema stayed with Kendall Jackson at Oh, that they point. did. They weren't in with this group. Isn't the amazing thing is that La Crema started in Petaluma. With Dan Goldfield. With Dan Wasn't Goldfield, yeah, yeah, in the um, 70s, I think, right? Yeah, it I, was our only winery. Right. Sorry, I grew up in Petaluma as well. Is so, your wine? Yeah, that La Crema was, was like our winery. Who was Dan's partner in that? 
because yeah. I, I had some of those first wines. Wow. But Verite was in um, huh. this portfolio and 5,000 acres of vineyards. So this was not a small winery, small job. In um, the middle of it, I got diagnosed with breast cancer and had to undergo treatment and kept working. And they were wonderful to me, as, um, which was fantastic. And then, oh, and they just bought Matanzas Creek, so I worked with Sandra McKeever a lot, too, on this. Um, just as I was coming out of recovery, doing well, they decided not to sell. I was there during the sale. They were selling Kendall Jackson that was on the market. That's what Lou Platt had done. And they had two suitors, big suitors, Brown Foreman, and I can't remember the other one. I think Brown Foreman was the, and uh, just a private story, they, that they were offered $1.75 billion. With a B. With a B. Jess and Barbara turned it down. Oh, and I said, that's a hard number to turn down. Well, Jean. Jonathan, I said, Jess, <laughs> are you sure? I mean, that's pretty much enough for the kids. And are you sure? And he said, $2 billion to be or not to be. <laughs> wow. Isn't well, that a great story? It is, but boy, you got to have some cojones to do that. Well, and really? Especially because, you know, people throw around billion now like it's no mm -hmm. big deal. But, I mean, that, no one talked about billions In there. In 2001. Right. Yeah. No, a million dollars. If you were a millionaire back then, it's a big deal. So it's a know? big deal. It's just, it was an amazing experience because as Jim... Barrett, Chateau Montalena was my mentor. And I did think of Jess and Barbara that way. They, too, very, very driven, but I focused and they knew what they wanted. And they have flourished since then. So it, it was it a good decision. It was one that it, that's outside of my pay grade, you know, even though that was a pretty high position there. Um, but it was, it's amazing. So amazing stories. But that's when Bob decided to retire wanted to get married, and they needed a president of Hansel, and Hansel was my casebook study of doing things right, searching for greatness, sometimes achieving it, and doing that and with lovely, lovely people. Do you like it better client side or consultant side? Oh, you You've know. been both. I like better client side. Consulting side's rough for me, although I prefer to do it now because... I am at the point of reimagining how I want to live my third act that I don't want to work 70 hours 3.0. a week. 3.0, thank you. I don't want to work 70 hours a week in and out. So I prefer consulting now. It's rough for me with consulting is because they don't have to do what you say. <laughs> and you're often still held accountable for the results. Yeah. Write it down three times and then make them sign it. That's what we always did. If they go against a real strong recommendation, mm. three times and a memo that they sign. We pass on this idea. Thank then, you. Then we went back. We'll, hey, guys, we'll still do it, but you're the moron to sign the paper. <laughs> well, well, I so, so people ask me about Chalk Hill because we were, Peggy Firth and I really um, repositioned Chalk Hill in that time because it was... 96, 97, 98. And Chalk Hill was known as a grocery store brand. <laughs> yeah, but David Thank Ramey you. had made those wines. Right. And again. <laughs> again, I, he's my one of my saviors. I call him in whenever I'm stuck with a winemaking issue. But we repositioned it in two years to 75% uh, on-premise price increase from 14 to $24 a bottle. We did that because Peggy didn't blink. 
she committed and she didn't blink and we did it and changed the consumer base. So it's a great story. It's a great case study. But you blink or you don't do it. Somebody else does. And that moment is gone. Moment's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Moment's gone. You got to jump on things. I'm just fascinated how it has come full circle because it's all back to single vineyard, yeah. designate, as, as tiny wine, micro wineries, et cetera. And I don't consider, I mean, these are all my friends. If you're making thousands of cases, I don't consider that a micro winery anymore until we would talk to somebody at Kenwood a long time ago. And it was, so, yeah, we're doing, you know, 800,000, a million cases a year. It's like, holy cow, man. That, that's, that's major products going through, you know? Well, well, you said commodity before, and not necessarily as a bad word. I mean, commodity is, what, what's another commodity? Be, uh, pork, pork right. beans. Corn. Corn. Soy. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's more mass marketed. The one luxury company, I think, who's done well with serious production is not a winery. It's Aramis the luxury goods producer. They have a lot of factories and they make a lot of luxury items. Yeah, I've, I've, my wife is added to their coffers every time we go to Europe. It's Painful. a couple of new Hermes scarves. I got her a Kelly bag and then a Birkin bag and all that. You know, it's like, this is what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I held a Birkin bag recently. One of my favorite stories, because I, I love teaching and I taught cl- professional classes at Sonoma State for a lot of years before the recession hit. But I found a story in um, Departures magazine about Hermes. And uh, they, were, they were one of the few, back in the pre- recession before 2008, they were the only company, like after 2001, not a recession, but after 2001, they made money. They still make money. And he, was a, he wrote about how they do marketing, which they don't. They, it was a part of his story. But the, the story started that, um, what's Arnaud? the owner of Hermes and LVMH, went into one of the factories, one of the many factories that makes Hermes uh, products, and he was walking along, and he saw one of the craftsmen kiss the bag he had just finished stitching, like a Birkin or a Kelly, kiss it before he put it in to be packaged, and stopped and said, what are you doing? And he said, with all the handwork, I always kiss. So the woman that opens this package knows that the craftsman that created it kissed it before it left his hands. I said, that's a bit much, but I love it. (laughs) I'm going to stand at the end of the bottling line and kiss bottles. (laughs) Bart. Thank Blair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you take the heart of it, the essence of it. No, no, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because you want to know. You pay $5,000 in 2000 Right. For a Birkin bag, yes, yeah. I see, John, there was much more money in Chicago in advertising than out <laughs> here. Um, but you want to know the craftsman cared. So it was a good story. But Aramis No, it's is, a wonderful story. Yeah, liked yeah. it. Yeah. Always creating the visual, you know, when, when you can just imagine, you can picture someone kissing the bag and putting yeah. it in, the, in yeah. your box. And yeah, selling, especially selling wine on the floor. It's a, to have stories like that is invaluable. I mean, I... I just got a text from Ian Blessing. Those listeners out there will know he was, um, he worked at the Girl in the Fig with me for a while and then went on to be a Somme at French Laundry and now he's at um, Bouchon. Uh, Little tiny places. Texted me the D- other where, day. Where do I get to ding the oh, wine yeah. class? Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. yeah, so Ian's, Ian sends me a text and says, 
I got Pickpool on by the glass at Bouchon. First time ever. Excellent. <laughs> like, Let's go. They, cause, <laughs> yeah. We lived Pickpool for a while, and it was a... But we always used to sell this one that um, from Julie Bonneau in southern France where she would take the pig pool, put it in barrel, and then put it in a shark tank and submerge it in an oyster farm and leave it in there for like three to four months and do like this batonnage down at the bottom of the, the huh. bottom of the ocean. And before we even tried the wine, we said, well, yeah, we know we need some of that. We, because we want to tell that story because you're, people are then they're imagining this barrel going into a shark tank and going down in the middle of the ocean. And, and some kind of fish, fish guts finding right, it. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, but you're exactly right about the story, Chan Blue, that mm. I read about them in New York Times because of their story. The st- storytelling is an art and real, honest, rigorous honesty in storytelling. I think is what we need now because we have so much that's not. But yeah, that's stuff that you can. Great. Well, and even Nicole Rollet from Chambleau, when she told us when they took over that house, it had been abandoned for years, and she said it was piled feet high with sheep dung, where it had just built up, and they the sheep were living in the house, and yeah. so we were like, how do you how do you get that a, out of there? It's a stunning place too. But you're you're picturing this beautiful house up on a hill that's got three feet of sheep dung all over inside the house because these sheep are just running wild up there. Yeah, that is yeah. a great story. So it was a job that kind of had to be tackled. And you do it. Yeah. You do it. And that, yeah. I, you know, that's honest. That part of what I'm thinking about this rigorous honesty is it contains the flaws too. Right. Because nothing is perfect. And so there's, in your storytelling... There are things that, you know, it's not all just blue sky and lollipops. No, it's sometimes even better when it has those flaws because then you, yeah, then you know it's real. That's it. It is true. It rings true. Mm -hmm. It's um, perfect. What what is case production now at Hansel? I mean, I think it was around five thousand last time I checked, but that was probably ten years ago or something. Well, you know, it's well when I first met Bob that first Jerry Mead trip. They were doubling production. And I said, well, what's your production, Mr. Sessions? And he said, we're going from 1,000 to 2,000 cases. Yeah. And, you know, I was at Chateau Saint-Jean. then and what? Another That's one? Not, okay. Well. <laughs> Those are early days, but it was with Richard Arroway. Oh, I used to drink a lot of their wine. <laughs> oh, my God. I still have some in this cellar, so I'm coming your way with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that 70s John, made John just had the happiest look on his face <laughs> <laughs> I've seen in months. <laughs> <laughs> he was but, like, oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, where was I going with the story about Bob uh, and uh, uh, Richard Arrowwood, Chateau Saint? Oh, no, a case, case production. production. Case production. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I know. Yeah. See, this is aging a little bit. <laughs> um, the case production, we, I was able to get it up to about 5,000. We had gone that far because that was what we wanted with the new winery. So, we built the new winery in the caves and added, and 5,000 was our goal. Um, the winery can't have, I believe the gentleman, uh, Jason uh, Char- Jason Jardine, sorry to call him Jardinier, but Jason Jardine, the new president that I helped hire uh, when I left in 14, he has taken the Sabella, which was our young vineyard, Chardonnay, and broadened the appellation and taken that volume up, and I don't know how much. Uh, I believe the I think that's probably gone to five or six, and the estates probably down to two, right? Two thousand. So it's still six to eight thousand. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, I think people when they think of Hansel, they sort of think in the same terms of like Silver Oak, or you know, it's mm-hmm. one of those uh, Duckhorn. It's one of those names that you yeah. know, but they they probably think it's a lot bigger yeah. than it is. Well, and it's 
I, yeah, I, I agree with you. A real quick story from Chalk Hill when I took over the, there for the marketing. Um, they made forty David Ramey forty five thousand cases of barrel fermented Batonage Surly Chardonnay, forty five thousand cases. So I'm like, as I knew from Jordan, Jordan was fifty thousand cases of cap. When you focus, you can make wine of that quality. Is it Grand Cru? Good. I don't want. To, I love David Raymond. I'm not going to argue about it, but no, probably not Premier Cru. Right. And but he did it. So when I submitted it to the Wine Spectator for a review, the 1994, I put down 45,000 cases, and they called me and said, "Oh, Gene, you've got a mistake in here. It says 45,000 <laughs> cases." I said, "No, it's astounding. It is amazing for this quality to produce this much wine." And she said, "No, the marketing director before you put down 4,500." Uh. I said, "No." <laughs> It's 45,000. I'm looking at the barrels. Yeah. It won number three. I know three. what it is. <laughs> yeah. Number three in the world. Wow. In the White Spectator list that year. Yeah. So that's my shout out to press people to be honest. Yeah. And um, just it, what it is what it is. But Hansel, no, there's still, the property just won't handle more than that. Right. Yeah, it's a one lane road. And well, I'm one. sure that they're happy with it. Though, yes. right now yes you know it's an ongoing deal everybody Consistent loves quality. it yeah. Yeah. Um, no very happy and they've gone biodynamic yep. so i love that there's animals yep. there. wow animals isn't the that property. cool to see that happening now you've been through it all yeah and um it's just really interesting now that well for instance uh, sonoma proper no longer uses roundup um mm -hmm. in public areas um we've been talking about it every darn show for the last two years and it seems like all of a sudden it's really happening people are understanding what the hell's going on when they spray something that kills in the vineyard that's uh -huh. all and it's coming in look i mean i sold a uh, kellogg's oh, and keebler and cookies mm -hmm. and crackers and then all this kind of stuff but all of those, even the cereals from General Mills and Kellogg's, they all have Roundup in them now. Gly glyphosate, okay. Glyphosate. But it's not brand mm -hmm. specific at that point. But the only thing they, the only one that came up in the list was Kashi. Kashi's a little brand out of uh, San Diego area mm -hmm. that Kellogg's owns. They don't want anybody to know that they do, but it's the only one that buys non-GMO, and, and they don't have any Roundup in their cereal. Bingo. Everything else is soaked in it, and I'm tired of it. You know, John, well said, and I think Kellogg just sold off Keebler, didn't they? They did this last week. Yeah, so, but that goes into a whole long discussion, too, of things that have we haven't known as the consuming public, and I do like the focus now that we can get information. Because, I mean, for so long, I mean, we thought Coca-Cola was good, you know? Hey, I lived through the NutraSweet area. That was, that was a big client of ours. Yeah. You know, we were selling to Coke and Pepsi. You know, you got to get rid of tab, man. You got to put this in. And all of a sudden, now it's a Monsanto product that still, it hasn't been looked at enough. And now they're going to find out that, that stuff causes brain fade real bad, I can guarantee. Yeah, it's just, it's really... It's an aware. I'm happy to be living in a time that there's an awareness about this, and you can look and you can find yeah. the information generally. And in Google. an area you can shop organic, you can eat organic, mm -hmm. and you can take care of yourself. Yeah, perfect. You know your winemaker, you know your grocer, and you know your farmer. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's perfect. I know you can't do it everywhere in the United States, but we sure as hell can here. We can in Sonoma. Yeah. We're very fortunate where we live. It's you know, it's not Europe, but. 
It's pretty darn close. But I can I can speak better English than I can French. Right, so. Exactly. <laughs> it's not Europe, and it's not Europe. <laughs> Gene, you, you, we started into the consultant, uh-huh. the, the collective, uh-huh. and let me move my glasses. The group foundation, Gene Arnold Group Foundation, uh-huh. Women in Business of Wine. Tell us about all those before. We well, take thank you. Actually, the women in business, of, the women in the business of wine, is an outgrowth of what I called my girlfriend group or our girlfriend group. Back in 2000, with breast cancer, going forward, started a fundraising effort uh, for the human race to go to Sutter Medical Breast Cancer, Breast Care Unit. Sorry, and uh, then it became a luncheon. Then we started doing pajama parties in Sonoma, at the El Dorado Kitchen. All right, just picture this: 140 women in pajamas. Yeah, at the El Dorado Kitchen for and the evening. And five striking young bartenders. Yeah, five striking young, and celebrity males that would come and wear T-shirts that said Saving Second Base, which you may understand, but the younger generation doesn't know what that is. And uh, we raised You the, might have to explain it. At Saving Second Base. Do you remember the days of dating that if you got a kiss, that was first base? First base. Mm-hmm. And then there was second base, got a little bit more than a kiss, mm-hmm. but not... Not anything, and that was what we were trying waist. to save. Yes, above the waist. So that's what we were trying to save. Second, second base. I think petting, 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 I think, is what they call it. Yes. Sliding yes. into third. So yeah. our, this was for breast cancer research and immediate need. Really long story short, we did it about eight years and trademarked Jean's pajama party. Um, I felt it was better with the name to make it personal. Fabulous. We ended up about one hundred and fifty thousand that we raised. All women working. And then having the best time at El Dorado Kitchen, we had we served dessert first, had healthy <laughs> food, salmon salads, silent auction, live auction. It was a party. Just, it was a party. I, I, I remember like in the first couple of years, I walked into the after party, which was maybe at the girl in the fig or somewhere. It was just, there were just women in pajamas that it went out for one more drink. and Swiss. Yeah, yeah. Were you probably at the Swiss. Swiss. Yeah. It, yeah, I know it, those it, girls. It would have been fun. to if, if you were a single guy, it would have been fun to run into. It was, it was a blast. And the guys that helped us, their celebrity men were really great. Yeah. And we had massage tables and massage chairs. We had a photo booth, henna tattoos, Oysters and champagne. I mean, we're girls. We know how to do this. So, um, and then we always had an honor for people that had had lost their lives to cancer, or for people going through it. And we often had a someone that was a bit shaky in their treatment come, and one girl came and sang and beautifully, and she passed the following year. And mm. so it was very meaningful as well. We started Project Pink at the Sonoma Valley Hospital, which is free mammograms, digital mammograms for women with uh, underinsured or no insurance. They are making a real big hay with that right yeah, now. Still. They've continued it, yeah. which has been wonderful. Last pajama party was in 14, when Bob, two weeks before Bob died. So I kind of haven't. We've gone back. We're talking to Cancer Care Sonoma about maybe doing in support of them, just talks, and turning it more towards wellness. So that's exciting. So that's the uh, foundation part. And um, the collective is I have worked with some amazing people that if I'm consulting on a project, I will refer them to. So that's the collective part. And um, now what I feel, I'm redefining retirement. And I just have to get this in because I'm trying to retire. Because what it means to me is I can have, I know what my income is, and then I can accept work that I want to do, whether I'm paid for it or not. Nice. And, that, and I don't have to accept work I don't want to do, right. even though I'm paid for it. Right. 
So I think yeah. that's a new way of defining retirement because it's really good. reimagining. This is my retirement. See? John, it fits I'm perfectly. I'm having more fun now. And I'm busier than I was last 10 years. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Some people, when I shortcut and say, oh, I'm retired, they'll go, oh, you're just sitting around. I'm like, yeah, no, not so much. But it's okay. <laughs> you know, I do like things to be a bit slower and manage energy better. And um, so and I do have to laugh. Joe Phelps, and I get another ding for Joe Phelps. Oh, of course. Gave me the name Gene Arnold Group back in the 90s. And so I kept it. And now, but I want you to know it's been torturous. I have people call me, friends, hi, we want to hire you in the band for our bar mitzvah. I'm like, it's not a, and they're like, okay. And then when I'm down to just me, like right now, they're like, okay, oh, hey, who's the group? You and the cats? And I'm like, so it's been, that's the Gene Arnold group. Pull out those tap shoes, Gene. Yeah, I was just like, oh God. It's a brutal Dancing industry. Dancing away. Hey, are you going to go see this uh, new Bob Fosse movie that's out next week? Yes, I am. Or maybe this week. Uh, yes, I am. But my theater experiences, I do love theater since I've been from the dance background, and I will go see Bob Fosse. Um, but I just went and saw The Jungle in San Francisco at The Current, which is an immersive theater experience of immigrants it's set in the refugee camp in Cal- Calais, France. Hmm. It's important. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really amazing because you're, you're in the Afghan cafe. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that whole Calais area has completely changed. It's been taken over. Yeah. It's done. It's you, you know, John, you should go see this because it's it is pretty relevant current and talking about the refugee experience. We're just talking about uh, the London to Paris trip. Do we fly or just take the channel? And because of because of Calais and some of the other things, I want to go there. I want to see what's happening. I need to. You know, it's it's yeah. got to be uh, one of the most important things happening in the world today. It's, it, it is. And so this, this performance is immersive and dramatic and is not always comfortable, but it is the greatest theater because you, you truly... And some, uh, several, two or three of the performers are, from, are refugees from the refugee camp. So it's quite oh, yeah. moving. So I, but that's kind of the theater I'm looking to now. And dance, cool. and I like that. That's for the young ones. We just want to see... Um, Ain't too proud to beg at the Berkeley Rep a uh, couple it. times. It's about the temptations. It's it's Jersey Boys. It's a Buddy Holly story. It's all oh. those, but it's about the temptations. And it's just opening on Broadway like this week, and it's a smash sellout. Oh. We got to see it early, and now I want to, you know, now we want to go to see back in New York and see it on Broadway. Oh. It's fascinating. I'll we, check it out. we love dance. We love all that stuff. Yeah, it's oh. a big deal. So. Okay. Cool. I hope I've given some inspiration to people aging my direction. That <laughs> absolutely don't, don't replace that. I name. think so. Yeah. No, <laughs> Gene, did you ever get the bug to make wine? Thank you, Brian, for asking that. I did a partnership with two guys back, and we did a wine called Odomino. But I was marketing Bill Nuttall, winemaker, and it's still out, and Brad Alpert, vineyard owner, and and um, that was as close as I got. No, I actually I. I don't, I'm part of the winemaking process when I was president of wineries in the tasting process and doing all of that. Um, but I'm not a chemist. And my passion, my passion storytelling and understanding the winemaking enough to honestly tell the story. So I, I didn't. It hurts sometimes when winemakers say, oh, those marketing people don't understand. <laughs> some don't. The, it, it, uh, you know, but some do. Some truly do. And, hey, and now with smaller wineries, you, the marketing person, is sometimes the winemaker. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, a matter of fact, our next guest is one of those. So we'll, we'll have learned yeah. from him also. But whenever the winemakers give me a hard time, I say, look, you're not standing out in a blizzard in Boston at midnight because your plane came in late. Right. Going to meet someone that's like, so I can have them taste your wine and tell your story. Right. So I, I, my heart's with you during harvest. Right. But you need to be with me when I'm at stranded in an yeah. airport. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, business travel is so glamorous these days. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, my 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 boss at at Kenwood, Mike Lee, used to say, "Oh, that's great. You can make some wine, but who's going to sell it? You know." And um, it is. It's really easy to make wine and um, you know put it in bottles and send it to the warehouse. But it's got to go out on the other end, or else all you do is pay more and more fees and storage. Exactly. It's really getting it into people. There, there are, I do believe there are people that are the image makers that other people follow. And in my career, I've always fought and sought out the image makers that truly when they, they of specific things, because we can't all be, you know, fabulous and everything. Right. But th- where when they give you, it's a third party testimonial, basically, right. when they like something and they will tell the story. Right. And that's, and that's, the, that's yeah. the biggest thing for small wineries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, finding people that will tell your story and hand sell your wine because with there are so many brands out there and um you know it's does it pop off the shelf um you know does it connect with you spiritually or does someone say no you need to try this because the guy spends hours out in the vineyard tending to the vineyard and then he brings it in when he feels it's right and makes the wine and crafts it into this and um, and that's what helps sell our uh, small wineries. The emotional connection yeah. into it, because as a food, it's you know on that level you need to emotionally connect with yeah. it. So, yeah, cool. Gene, okay. I don't want to stop. Right. I just want. <laughs> I just want to roll. I think we're gonna get Gene back here <laughs> um, again. Oh, part two. The sequel. part two because there's certainly a lot <laughs> more um, to talk about, and we'll help you clean out your cellar a little bit more. Also, oh. well, no, can we? Do you want to just mention the what we were drinking please, during this? Yeah. Please, please, please. Random, but th- okay. with a theme of aging wine part as part of the winemaking process. I think I've got the oldest one in front. I've got a twelve Chapelet uh, no, no, Chardonnay no. Napa Valley, so no, 2012. A, there was That's the, the youngest. The nine- this is my favorite. Actually, is this 97 Chateau Monolena Chardonnay Napa Valley? That is. In Magnum. Magnum is drinking so good right now. Kids, you should see us now. 97 (laughs) Robert Sinsky Pinot Carneros. Got an 83 Chateau Monolena Napa. And then I believe an 85 Mag that Mm -hmm. we pulled, but we think it's a little, um, it's got a little cork uh, corkiness to it. Um, but most of them, I mean, and then the Hansel, the Sessions video. Oh yeah, which um, Sam took. Sam uh, took, right. and uh, you know, I'm gonna call <laughs> Phil and make sure that Phil actually tastes it because yeah, you know, Sam could drink it on the Sam's way home. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he How and, bad are he we? He and Paul are like packing the wine club and they're drinking the Hansel and the Sessions vineyard. Right, uh, Phil, Phil shows up and there's an empty bottle in the recycling. Oh, <laughs> go, wait a minute, I haven't had this. Hey, Phil, we <laughs> saved the bottle for you. Uh, well, it was a random selection, but all age as part of the winemaking process yeah. that you too yeah. can be part of the winemaking process with you cellar wines yeah and that is something that you know people don't necessarily do as often as they used to as cellaring wines and um, we are consumers and that's you know in that we buy and then we consume typically um, but these are great examples of if you do hold on to things how well they turn out so. I age stuff from the grocery to my house and drink it into the dining room that's it. Yeah. it ages know, quite well that way 
We're not a culture anymore. Well, that's why I like the art of decanting, that you can decant wines that have ageability if you yeah. decant them. What is it? The esters come with the air. More will release than just pouring it. But um, there is something that develops in the wine. The wine does turn into something else if you age it. Hopefully, it's a good something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you can only get those flavors by aging them. So it's kind of a fun, but it's not as convenient. Um, <laughs> with tiny houses, it's not <laughs> as convenient. Or cost effective. If you're, if you're not the one storing it and you're deciding to buy these bottles right. uh, to seek them out, then yeah, it's, it becomes a little more expensive. Oh, it could be a lot more expensive yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, Brian, any uh, closing words today? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for bringing thank these beautiful you. wines and sharing your stories. Um, yeah. Thank you. You guys are great. And Thank you. I, I knew that from your prior podcast and honored, honored to be here. And thank well, you. Well, I, I think there is more conversation uh, with you. So we'll, we'll, we'll get down the road a little bit and well, it's before great Harvest we've, try to catch up. We've again. surrounded you in some ways. I mean, we've had Richard Arrowwood on the show yeah. and David Ramey and Bob Cabral. And so we've had, you know, a lot of these people that you were friends with on the show. So yeah. cool. David Ramey, really quickly, there was a, used to be Focus on Chardonnay, which was a Sonoma Couture. Uh, Robert Haas deal where uh, 10 Chardonnay producers from Burgundy and 10 from California would get together every four years here and then over there and then back and forth. I got to go one year because Bob was invited. And I stomped my feet saying, but I'm president of the winery. I want to attend. They're like, no, no. So my friend got me in as the photographer. <laughs> and I got so busted. David Ramey walked in and he went, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, sure. love it. I said, I'm just here for Bob's. But I stayed for Bob's. My husband's presentation was, was fantastic. But I got to stay for the next one, which happened to be Hubert de Valen mm -hmm. and Le Mont Rocher. Oh, yeah, that was a big ding because I... I, I weaseled my way in and I weaseled my way to stay and I'm not sorry then I got voted off the island back with the spouses but voted off the island was that's hysterical God, that term I know well Jean thank, thank you, you so much what a pleasure storytelling I love it yeah. thank you it's it's awesome. lovely to thank be here you. with your your fans as well so. thank you Jean alright everybody yeah. well if they want to get a hold of her can yes. we just give oh. them a little Thank uh, you. Info to That's why John had my card. Right. Well, yes. Gene, Ar Gene Arnold Sessions, founder and CEO. It's Gene at GeneArnoldGroup.com. Of course, you're www.GeneArnoldGroup.com. And Gene is spelled. Facebook, J-E-A-N. And Facebook, okay. you are Gene L. Arnold. Arnold. And, and uh, also at at Wine Scout JAS. We'll put all of that on uh, on Twitter. On, on Twitter. And and Jean's Jean's very active on Twitter. So um <laughs> so check it out and um and say hello to her. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen, thank you. What an honor. Thank you, Jean. All right everybody. Hey thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>